In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're continuing our uh, theme in Epiphany with looking at uh, those figures whom God has chosen to bring his word, his light, his love through, that uh, God may be made manifest to the peoples of the world through people, prophets, priests, others that he's chosen uh, to bring forth the word of God. And so uh, today we're looking at Jonah. Like last week, Jonah is another one of those great Sunday school stories, uh, vacation Bible school stories. It's uh, He gets eaten by a fish. I mean, what's better than that? Which leads to all sorts of great crafts and uh, activities. I remember one vacation Bible school that I led where we put two tarps together, duct taped them and put a fan in it and blew it up. And that's where we had our story of Jonah. Um, and, and so, again, we just read a little snippet of Jonah. We read Jonah 3 today, uh, which Jonah 3 begins, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, right? So, um, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And, and so... The word of the Lord came to Joseph, Jonah a second time, which means we need to figure out what happened the first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So we're not just going to look at uh, chapter three, uh, which is probably a good title for this sermon is the worst sermon ever that had the best results. Right. This is this is pretty much what we have with Jonah. We'll we'll look at it. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And said, go to that great city, Nineveh. This is in Jonah 1. And um, for their evil has come before me. And so Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, which is that way. And Jonah goes to Tarshish, which is that way. Um, In fact, Tarshish is basically thought to be the ends of the earth um, during that day. So he's going as far away as he can from the Lord. And in many ways, hoping to maybe get past um, the Lord's jurisdiction, sort of like the old Dukes of Hazzards when they passed the county line. That was it. You know, the cops had to stop chasing. Um, And so Jonah's trying to flee the jurisdiction of God. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And we don't know exactly why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is a, a, a terrible city. He Maybe he's afraid, right? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which is a brutal city who's, who's done great evil to those that they've conquered. They lead back their, their uh, uh, sort of captives with giant fish hooks in their lips as they, as they sort of bring them back to their, their uh, own country and the capital of of Nineveh. And so, you know, this is a scary prospect to go up against the Assyrians. Who wants to go up against the Assyrians? Who wants to go up against the Ninevites? That's that's frightening. So maybe he's fleeing because he's afraid. Um, maybe, he's a fr- maybe he's fleeing because he, he just doesn't like them and he doesn't want to be anywhere near them. And he doesn't want to become um, impure because they're they're Gentiles and he is he is you know a Jew and, and maybe he wants to, to remain pure or whatever 
Or maybe he just doesn't think he's good enough, right? Maybe he thinks that God has chosen him and, and he's afraid that he can't fulfill the obligations of being a prophet. Whatever, whatever it is, he flees. And he gets on a ship and immediately that ship, uh, a storm arises. And the storm throws you know, everything into disarray and, and Jonah goes and hides and the sailors cast lots to figure out who's, who's done this and the lot falls on Jonah and they say, uh, you know, what have you done? And he said, well, I'm fleeing from God, right? And they're like, ah, and he goes, well, just throw me overboard into the sea and it'll all be okay. And they don't do that. They, they try as hard as they can to paddle and they throw the cargo over and everything they can do to, to uh, get back safely without throwing this person overboard. They do, but, but finally, um, Jonah says, just throw me overboard. It'll be, it'll be fine, and, and the seas will come. And indeed, they, they picked him up, and they threw him over, and the seas calmed, and the sailors worshiped God. And, and, and in some ways, Jonah manifested the power and presence of God through his witness. Of course, this is almost like a suicide effort, right? He's, he definitely doesn't want to go to God. He definitely doesn't want to do what God is calling him to do to the point where, please, just kill me. I'd rather die. Than, than do this work. And it says, then God sent a big fish to swallow him up. And he stayed in the fish for three days. And this is the part where that we know very well, right? God sends a fish to, to save Jonah. To save Jonah from himself and also, as we'll see, maybe to save the Ninevites. Um, and so inside, inside chapter two of Jonah is just a prayer, um, a prayer that, that Jonah makes to God, um, as he sort of comes to his senses that, that he will, uh, seek the Lord and, and indeed then the fish spews him up and it says where we picked up today with our lesson. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And go to that great city. And so Jonah does, right? He goes and it says, um, it's a three-day journey, right? So Jonah rose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city going one day's journey and called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Which I'm not sure is what the what the Lord was calling Jonah to say, right? Um, tell him the word I'm going to tell you. He doesn't he doesn't say anything about the Lord, um, anything about their sin, anything about repentance, anything about um, how to make things right and and to return to the Lord, anything about what God has done and the amazing aspects of who God is. Instead. Jonah just says, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. He goes one third of the way into the city, so not to the city center, sort of to the outskirts, the suburbs um, of town, so to speak, and, and declares this. And an amazing thing happens. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they put on, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes and issued a proclamation 
and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, nor herd, nor flock, nor taste anything, let them feed or drink water. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence that is in their hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God indeed relented the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God used Jonah. God even used the worst sermon any ever, ever which is should be of great comfort um, to some preachers who, who are worried about the things that they say, um, that they won't be, be good enough. Um, it also should should strike fear in others that think they're they're so great um and and basically that it's actually not them it's it's the holy spirit working in them and through them um that that create this message that the people hear um, but either way right god works in us through us god used jonah a person who fled who'd rather die who who um you know, thought himself unworthy or was scared or whatever it was, and God used him uh, to to bring about this this change of heart, this repentance, this this um, new life, really, for for the people of Nineveh, where they got to experience the power of the glory of God, and not through punishment, but in, indeed through embracing. And so Jonah did his work, right? Every, everybody lives happily ever after, except for Jonah 4, which is why we're here um, on top of Mount Curahy, um, rather than, rather than uh, someplace else, you know, rather by the river, by, by, by some, other, some other place. Um, because Jonah was exceedingly displeased. He was angry. And he said to the Lord, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, because I knew you were a gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, it is better for me to die. Just take my life from me. Jonah sort of a little bit of a drama, drama queen here. Um, continuously, this is the second time we've had. Um, I'd rather just die than than have than experience your grace and glory to my enemy, which is what this is, right? This is Nineveh's his Nineveh's their enemy, and and Jonah knew. Jonah knew, if he proclaim the goodness and glory of God, that people may know the goodness and glory of God, and then God would show goodness and mercy even to his enemy. And he didn't want that. He'd rather die than let his enemy experience God's grace. He'd rather die. And God says, do you have any right to be angry? Do you have any right to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there and he sat under its shade so he could see what would become of the city. And now this is what Jonah basically is doing, right? He's, he's, he's coming 
and he's sitting at a place where he can see everything. He goes to a high point so he can look down and wait for the destruction that's going to take place. He still has hope, right, that God is going to do the right thing and destroy that city. And he wants a front row seat, bird's eye view of the whole city going up in smoke, going up in flames. And so Jonah does. He comes and he sits and he waits and he waits and he waits. And God, in that time, puts, puts uh, it's hot, right? It's hard to envision hot as I'm here in a jacket, but it's hot. And uh, he, he gives Jonah a, a plant of shade. And then Jonah's very happy because of the shade. And the next day he sends a worm to, to kill the plant. And Jonah's miserable, right? Again, he's complaining. And, and God says to Jonah, why are you angry? He goes, it's better for me to die than to live. Again, Jonah's ready to die, right? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He goes, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord says, you do not pity the, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night and a perish in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, who has 100,000 people in it? And this is the only book of the Bible that ends on a question. That ends in this in this climax. How's Jonah going to respond? Right? How's Jonah going to respond to the grace and glory and love of God? What are you going to do? How do you live fully into God's love? Are you angry enough to die? Right? Like Jonah. God says, are you just going to sit there and watch and wait? You hate these people. These people I created. You pity this plant. You, you're angry about a plant dying, which was here one minute and gone the next. What about these people? Who I care for? And it ends, right? We don't know. How does Jonah how does Jonah respond? Does Jonah continue to be angry? Does he continue to be hard-hearted? Does he continue to grieve someone else's repentance and and renewal of life? Or does Jonah come to see the reality that that God is the creator of of all people? And indeed his his job was to bring people to the knowledge of that love. His job was to be a messenger of God's grace. He was to manifest the presence of who God is to these people that they might turn and that they might be saved. And so for us, this is, this is another clear application, right? A little bit. How do we respond to those that, that we deem our enemies, right? Do we, 
do we wish them harm or do we pray for them as we prayed for our enemies earlier in the service and the colics? Do we pray for our enemies? Right, this sort of goes almost hand in hand with last week's application where God comes to you, not always with just these, these um, joyous words of, of love and support and encouragement, but often with challenge and rebuke. Right? The way that Samuel had to hear about Eli. And God comes to us even in these these ways, testing us, pushing us to truly embrace all people. And this is this is a hard thing, right? It's tough. This is this is one of those um the difference between preaching and meddling, right? Preaching, as I was told, is thou shalt not steal. Meddling is thou shalt not steal chickens. Um, it's very specific. Right now, God is hitting Jonah in a very specific way, and God should be hitting us in a very specific way. Certainly, as we come to this new um uh, aspect and, and and beginning of our of our country um, in a new administration and, and new overturning and um, elections that have never been as heated in my memory and divisions that take place you know are are we going to continue to be angry at one side or the other or are we going to to pray for each other and try to come together to manifest the grace and glory of, of who God is. And especially in the church, right? And this has been a problem in, in the church for a long time anyway, within breaks up breakups of denominations. And you know, breakup of, of church splits where one church goes across the way and one Congregation follows this pastor, and one congregation follows this pastor, and they don't speak together ever again. You know, these these are are hurtful ways that do not glorify who God is. Right? Are we angry about this other church? Yes, I'm angry enough to die, is almost what we say. But instead, we we are called to to live fully. I don't know how many times um, I've been rebuked by God, it seems like, for between the, the passage last week about, about challenge and, and having to, to face a challenge and not necessarily something that I, that I was really wanting to do. And, and a rebuke of, you need not to be angry at this person, but to pray for them. You need not to, you need to, why are you angry about this? Instead, Go to that person, fix what's going on. Like these, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do that, God. I want to be angry, right? I I want your wrath to be poured out upon them. I don't. I'm right, and they're wrong. Um. And this is just one of those instances where God isn't actually interested in right and wrong. And I think this is this is something that probably we need to get a hold of as a church as a nation, that, that 
God really isn't as interested in what's right and wrong as, as we think. That God is interested in the way that we manifest the love and glory of God and, and invite people into that living relationship with God. That we have a God not of, of the dead, but of the living, as it says in the scriptures. And having a God of living means that, that God wants his people to be drawn, right? To drawn to that love, drawn to that grace, drawn to peace and reconciliation and renewal. This is what God desires. And God calls us, you, me, to be the prophets, the encouragers, the ones who manifest God's love. Not always to the people that we like the best. Not always to the, the family um, down the street with two and a half kids and a dog that can join our church and become proper pledging members. But to the person who gets on your last nerve, to the person who you'd rather not talk to, to those who make you afraid. to those who make you uneasy, to those who just rub you the wrong way. Because they're God's children, just as you are. And so let's not come up here and look out all those people who, if things were right, they'd get what they got coming to them. Instead, let us go down and let us meet them. Let us be with them. Let us manifest the glory of God's love to them. That they may know the extreme grace and joy of living for God. What will you do? Right? Like Jonah that ends in a question, what will you do? What will you do? What will Jonah do? How will we respond to God? How will you respond to God?